morning, welcome. Thank you for being part of today. Uh, I'm Paul, one of the pastors here. And uh, if it's here for your very first time, if you're here for the first time, thank you for coming and making this a, a, a part of your Sunday morning. And hope you guys make it for, uh, you keep coming back. Uh, this is a good place, and there are some really great people that I just love here, and so, um, and you're one of them, so um, thank you for being part. Hey, we're going to um, um, uh, take a few moments, and we are going to pray for people we don't know. Um, we don't know their names, um, but we know a little bit about their situation. Um, we're going to pray for the people in Pakistan um, right now, um, and particularly because we as a church have a, just a heart for those that live around the world that cannot do what we're doing freely. They can't assemble. They can't meet together. It's illegal. And they're called just kind of by a blanket term, the persecuted church. And so um, we've made a commitment to have people that will pray regularly for the persecuted church. And I just want to continue to bring it to your attention, not just simply so we don't take this for granted, you know, and say, oh, man, I'm really lucky. But there's there's another side of that. And that's not just that we're lucky. It's just, boy, they are struggling and they are really hurting. And they have said, please pray for us. Pray for us. And, and so as we pray, um, I'm going to kind of try and lead us a little bit in that. But um, you won't know the people, and, and I don't even know the people, um, but we do know that they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we share a solidarity with them for this cause of Jesus. And we're going to take a moment now and, and bow together and pray. Would you pray with me, please? Would you, um, would you right now just pray for people that would be attending worship service today in Pakistan, whether it's a hidden room or whether it's out in the open field, or would you just pray? Pray that God would be glorified through their singing and through their learning of the word. Would you pray for the pastors, the leaders of the churches? Pray for the men and women that lead small Bible studies in their homes. Would you pray for those that would be the persecutors? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And so we can do that. Pray for those in Pakistan that are just zealous against Christianity, that their hearts would be broken. Pray for protection, would you, for the church, that it would thrive and grow, um, not just in spite of persecution, but because of it, believers would be strong. Pray for tribal leaders and government officials that they would be even open to Christ. Father, men and women, that we don't know their names, but you do know them, and you love them deeply, and you give them encouragement and joy in the midst of this trial that they experience, but may the excitement of knowing you and just overwhelm any fear that they might have, protect them, have your will be done, work out your perfect will in that place, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for that. 
Um, and if you do dangerous things, you know, like to kind of walk on the wild side, you know, do cutting-edge stuff, you know. You know me. You know, I'm one of those, you know, daredevil kind of guys, you know. For me, my idea of, of danger is eating yogurt that's two days expired. You know, that, that's pretty much the extent of that. And, and um, <clears throat> when I'm really feeling wild and crazy, I don't floss for a couple of days. So, so that's about the extent of me. But today we want to spend a few minutes talking about when the Bible gets dangerous, because it does. The Bible does get dangerous, and there's points of that, and we need to talk about that and how it affects you you and your, and your life. Our theme for the entire year is illuminate, and we really would are saying, you know, God, open our eyes up to the things that you have. In fact, the Bible says, let the, your heart's eyes be opened up, or open the eyes of my heart, sometimes we will sing. And, and if you are understanding that, if you're a believer, you understand that how the eyes of your heart can kind of be illuminated or, or lightened up or brightened up when you realize, wow, this is, this is God at work. This is God speaking. This is God changing. These are the things that, are, that, are, that God wants to do. Next week, we are actually going to move out of this topic of, of um, um, 40 days in the Word to look now at God's living Word, which would be Jesus Christ. And we have Dr. Eric Tonis from Biola University, great speaker. He, our kids love him. He spoke at camp, at uh, Human Lake Camp couple years ago, and very entertaining, engaging speaker, and he's going to be talking about Jesus Christ, the living word, um, next week, and so make sure you come for that. Also, guys, there's a breakfast at 8 o'clock next Saturday morning. Make sure you become part of that as well. But we're finishing up 40 days in the word, and, and, and we've learned how over these 40 days, how to learn the word and love the word, and then we want you to live the word, live it out daily, you know, every, every moment that you would allow it to influence how you respond, you know, to people and to situations. And so when I go through, you know, there's, there's been kind of a theme verse that's been going through the 40 days in the Word, and he has shown you, a man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, you know, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about. And, and doggone it, you know, my wife has really picked up on that one. And so every time I get frustrated, she would say, act justly, love mercy, you know. It's like, Argh! you know, I hate it when, I hate it when she, she does that kind of stuff. But there's a big fat question that, that, that some people ask because, because they, they really don't understand. Why do we even have the Bible in the first place? Why do we even need a Bible? What's the whole point of this? I mean, isn't it just simply a bunch of stories and songs and sayings and this and, and, and that? Can't I just simply go out and see God's hand, you know, here on the coast side? you know, in the forest or on the beach as I walk along the ocean. And a lot of times people will say, oh, the ocean is my church or the forest is my church and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and I kind of understand that because we get that sense of who God is and the feeling of who God is from going outside. And there's a term for that that theologians use, and it's just kind of, if you want to categorize it, that's called natural revelation, meaning God reveals, there's a term revelation, himself naturally or in nature through his creation. And, and if heaven, if God made the heavens, then they're going to actually reflect a little bit about who he is. And if he made the forest, they're going to reflect a little bit about who he is. I was, I was writing on, on Monday, last Monday, um, down the coast, and, and the flowers are out. You know, the yellow flowers are out. You know, holy cow, you know, you're going there. And, and, and actually now they have people that are painting the flowers. There's like huge masses of cars parked and people go out and thing and, 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 and they're painting the flowers. But it's beautiful because you have the, the yellow 
the, the stark bright yellow and then the dark blue of the ocean behind it. And, and it's great. And you could say, wow, you know, God is awesome. God is creative. You know, God is imaginative. What an incredible God we have, you know, how great our God is. But it was also freezing cold as I'm writing on this thing. Now, do I have to conclude from the same thing that God is cold? You know, God is cold and there's no warmth to him at all. You see, nature has a limit. There's a limit to what nature can tell you about God. There's just certain things that you're not going to get from nature. For instance, if I only look at nature, I don't understand forgiveness. I can't get forgiveness in nature. I don't, don't get kindness from nature because nature, boy, on its fang end is very brutal. You realize that? Just look at the way the animals respond to one another. It's a tough, tough world out there. And I don't understand forgiveness, and I won't understand turning the other cheek. From nature, I can't comprehend loving the unlovely. I don't get that from nature. Or I don't understand grace. Grace is not revealed in nature. It takes something else to reveal that to me about God and God's plan for my life. I can't understand justification by faith through nature, which is essential for my forgiveness of sins. I don't get that from nature. And from nature, I would not know Jesus. I would not know him whatsoever. For that, we need, and that's the other theological term, we call special revelation. Special revelation is God specifically and specially revealing who he is, what he's like, and his whole plan to us. And that would be revealed in the Bible. Now, the question's already been answered. Can God reveal himself? Of course he can. He's God. You know, he can do anything he would want. And has he? Well, this thing is reliable, and it's been authenticated, and so we're not getting a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation like your teachers will tell you or like people will tell you. It's not that whatsoever. We have the earliest manuscripts that were copied from the original writings in order to be able to say we go back to those, and it's translated. And so what we have is the reliability of it. We see it's inspired by God. And last week we talked about how it's actually not that hard to understand. It's an understandable book. Now, you may think, holy cow, there's a lot of pages, and those pages are really skinny, and, 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 and the print's really small. You know, but there's different sections of the Bible. And as you look at it, you look at it like you look at a newspaper. Again, we've mentioned that. We talk about when you move from the sports to the opinion to the news to the local news to the entertainment section of your newspaper, or if you're looking on a website, your eyes automatically adjust. Your mind switches gears a little bit to move from one section to another. Same is true with the Bible. So, for instance, if I'm reading Psalms, I kind of really understand that the Psalms are going to be songs, and as a result, they're going to say really strong things that kind of seem like, wow, I can't take that literally, just like you can't take any song literally. Okay? Like you can't take that all the way through or the prophets or the history part as well. Now, today I want to talk about, as I mentioned, how dangerous it is. And, and when I say dangerous, I don't mean people do, doing stupid things because of their messed up interpretation of the Bible. That's not where I want to go because people what? They do do that, don't they? I always hate it when some wacko does some wacko thing and they say, well, I looked at it right there in the Bible and it says that and therefore I did it literally. And I just go, oh, no, you know, another nutcase that's out there doing something like that. I hate it when people destroy somebody else's life because of a screwed up interpretation of that or someone marries 15 women because the Bible's told them to do that or they've, they've pulled verses out. 
That's not God's fault. That's not the Bible's fault. That's just simply them. And if they picked up any book, they'd do kooky, weird, weird things. When I say dangerous, I'm talking about once you open yourself up to what God is saying, hang on. Okay, hang on. Because God gets into your life and begins his work, making pretty major revisions and major changes and yanking you out of comfort zones into places where he would want you to serve and where he needs you to serve and he wants you and needs you to be in this world. Now, there's this thing that, that I, I do, and, and, and you do it as well, because we still have, as the Bible would say, a little bit of the sin nature still crawling around inside of us. In fact, it's kind of the whole foundation of us rebelling against God, and that is we like to build our own little kingdoms, okay? You and I, we like to have our own little kingdoms built, and that's why we take offense quickly when people insult us or hurt us, because it's a threat to our little kingdom, you know, so we try and build this little kingdom up, and all this kind of stuff happen. And, and, and... What God does is he says, okay, the problem is, is if you're on the throne of that little kingdom, I can't be on the throne of that little kingdom, and I'm God and you're not, and so everything's all screwed up. And therefore, as you look through the Bible and as God begins to move in your life, what he does is he's replacing you and pushing you off of your little throne, and he's placing himself on there. And that, when I say dangerous, that's dangerous to me because I like to be what? I like to be in control. I like to be in charge. I like to be able to dictate my life. I like to be able to write my own story. I'd like to be able to do this or do that or go this way or that way or like the story to turn out just like this. But God says, yeah, that won't be very good for you. And that won't be very good for anybody, actually. And therefore, I'm going to rewrite your story as you allow me to, and it's going to be like this. And I believe, with all my heart, I know, because I've seen it happen again and again in people's lives. When you do that, all of a sudden, the story gets better. It's dangerous, though, because I have to relinquish my little kingdom now to God. And I'm going to give you four dangerous statements that you can make and you need to be making when you open your Bible. And I say that they're dangerous because if you say them sincerely, your life will take off in all these wild ways. Dangerous statement number one, number one. Okay, and you probably already figured this one out and wrote it down. First danger statement number one is search me. There it is. God, search me. And here it is. In the Bible, there's a prayer, and this is David praying. He says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Would you point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life? And really what it's saying is take your high beam, high intensity light, God, and shoot it now into every part of my life. I want you to search me. I want you to look at every single part of me. See what's there and show it to me. Now, follow along because, again, this is where we can take some of those things that we've learned about looking at the Bible and put them into practice. Again, you look at it like a newspaper. Psalms are songs, and, and um, what's cool about this is the emotions that made David say that. And in this psalm, or this song, David starts out thinking about how great God is. He says this, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They're innumerable. I can't even count them. They're outnumbered the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you're still there. And he's going to go on and on and on and on about God. Really cool stuff as he's kind of saying it again. As you go through the song, you're going to say, yeah, I felt that way too. I felt that way too. And that's the whole purpose of songs. But then David does something weird, really weird in this psalm. He's looking totally at God, but then he starts to unload on other people. Just listen. This is in the same song. 
God, if only you would destroy the wicked, just blow them out. They blaspheme you. Your enemies take your name in vain. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who resist you? Yeah, I hate them with a complete hatred. And you think, holy cow, that's really strong language for the Bible. I thought I'm supposed to love enemies. You get it. I understand it. This is a song. This is a feeling. Understand that? You got it, how it's different here? But what it does is it hits him that there are people who, you know, shake their fist at God or who hold on tight to their throne and say, God, you will never take over the throne of my life. And they hate God, and they don't care about God at all. And what David is saying is, how could anybody rebel against a God as cool as you? Who would do that? Who would even consider doing that? And then something happens. It's like David says, whoa, God, maybe there are times... When I do that, when I'm the one who's doing that, and there are certain parts of me that are not completely given to you, and while I I don't hate you, there are things I'm unwilling to change, and there's things I'm unwilling to do, and there's things that I'm unwilling to commit to, I'm not going to let you into that part of my life. And then he says, who am I to judge them when there are things inside of me? Now, isn't that a lot like us? I mean, it's not a whole lot like us. You know, we can talk about that person, that person. God, you, know, you must really get frustrated at that person. But maybe the things that they're not letting go of are some of the same things that I'm not letting go of. It just in them, it reveals itself different. We realize I do that. So here he goes. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When you go to the Bible, you say, God, search me. Search me and see if I'm like that. Forget the other guy. You know, I'm not thinking about the other guy now, how bad he is or she is. Show me the intentions of my life. And I'm, I'm really ready to be honest about that. And this is why I, I, mean, I love this verse. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And therefore, that means when I, when I open this up and I look at it, you know, and I see words, I say, search me with those words. Search me with them. Last night I turned to it. I can't do it again. I just flipped the Bible open and it said, um, imitate God in your life. And again, we've been learning the different methods of looking and reading the Bible. And you have to personalize it, you know. So personalize it. Paul, imitate God in your life. Paul, do you do that? See how powerful it is? And all of a sudden now it starts to cut deep in, in my life. And so it's God, search, search me. Second word, second term. Break me. Break me. Now, the Bible says this. There's a time... The time to tear down and a time to rebuild, and that means there's a time actually to get out the bricks and cement and build up, and there's a time to get out the sledgehammer and the crowbar and throw out your back. I mean, that's the way what he's saying right here, and that's true in our lives. There are some times when I need to break apart some old patterns in my life, and that's dangerous because, boy, those little patterns begin to build up just like varnish can build up on the inside of your engine, you know, and it causes all kinds of performance issues. It doesn't work. And I have to change patterns, and I have to get serious about the way I've been doing things. 
And then there's the famous story, one of the more famous stories, pretty much everybody knows this, in the Bible about the woman that got caught in adultery. It's in John chapter 8, and it's a great story because it reveals very clearly the character and the love of Jesus. This woman is dragged in, in, out, caught in adultery, and she's dragged and thrown in the dirt in front of Jesus. And the religious leaders are there, and, and they're trying to trick Jesus into saying something that will trap him, okay? They want to catch him into a verbal trap. If he condemns her, then they'll say, well, you're not a very loving person. If he lets her go and lets her go free without saying anything, then he's a lawbreaker, you know? Let's catch the dilemma, you know? Check, you know, that's what's saying, check. We got you in check. Well, Jesus turns the tide and, and rips on the religious leaders for being hypocrites. And, and the Bible says, he said to them, if any one of you is, you know, without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I, I mean, I marvel at the brilliance of that. You know, just the brilliance of that statement. And they fade out, and they love that part. And so Jesus reaches down to the dirt and picks up the humiliated woman. The Bible says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you. And I love that part. Neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you, he says. And he talks to her a bit, and he will send her away. Does anyone remember the last words he speaks to her? Go and sin no more. He does just instead of say everything's okay, let's just be cool, and, and it's fine. I don't have to say anything. It's go and sin no more. Rephrase it. He's saying, you got to break this pattern, girl. Break this pattern because it dishonors God and will destroy your life and it will destroy people's lives around you. You've got to break this pattern of living. You've got to. And all through the pages of the Bible, there are patterns that we need to build into our lives and there's patterns that we need to break. And that's true for me and that's true for you. For some, it's an inability to trust God. We mentioned that before. God, I want to write my story this way. And God's wanting to write it that way. And we have an inability to trust God with it, and so we fight to keep it our own story. Sometimes it's being too judgmental. We judge people really quickly, or temper, we blow up, or an inability to admit wrong, or comparison. These are patterns that we have to have broken down. And God loves you too much to allow you to just stay the way you are. And he will be doing things and putting things in your life and in place to be able to then begin to crack those things and break those things down. Do you, have you ever have those light sticks? Have you ever seen those little light sticks? You know, they're light sticks, and, and, and they're really, really cool. My son got in huge trouble at Hume Lake because he, anyway, it's another story. Because <laughs> <laughs> I blame my wife. She sent it to him. But all these light sticks that we, that we have. And, 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 and what's really cool about the light stick is it's just kind of there with kind of a, a dull color. But on the inside, there's like a little bit of glass vial on the inside. Because there's a chemical on the outside and a chemical on the inside. And the most fun thing in the world to do is to what? To break them, to crack them. And once they crack and break and open up, all of a sudden what begins to happen? The light shines, you know. Light don't shine unless that thing is cracked, you know. And it'll really shine if it's broken and sprayed all over cabin walls. Then it'll really shine all over the place, okay? <clears throat> but nothing happens until the, the thing is broken. Nothing happens there. Taking that as a reality of my life, certain light cannot shine unless certain things are busted apart, okay? And as fun as it is for me to, to break those things down, it's hard when it happens in my life. But I love it when the light 
is able to shine in that. Number three, stretch me. Stretch me. Remember running laps in PE? Middle school, we have to run laps. I still remember the PE coach, take a lap, you know, and we had to go around this, uh, and then you go, take a long lap, and we have to go around three or four times, you know, and I hated it, running around and around and around a, a high school track or middle school track. <clears throat> I didn't like it, and I hated running. If you were to ask me in high school, Paul, do you like running? I'd say, I hate running. It wasn't until I got off of that stupid track and those ruts that we had to run around and finally was able to run into the open fields and up hills and on just, just throughout on my own where I wanted to go that I began to love and enjoy running. And we can get into personal ruts. And when you say stretch me, what you're saying is, God, I'm, I'm no longer just going to do laps. Laps are done. I'm tired of status quo. Peter in the Bible was a popular figure and he kind of took leadership in the early stages of the movement of following Christ. And he was getting comfortable with his leadership role until one day he takes a nap and God is going to do a, 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 a stretch me moment says he's taking a nap. Here's his dream. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Now, these animals were ritually unclean to a Jewish person, old law stuff. Voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. The voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Now, the story is not just about food, and it's not just now about how finally God is able to make it so we can eat bacon and those kinds of things. It's not about that. At this time, there were some guys who had come from way off and were knocking at the door of the house. And so Peter goes down, stares, and they ask if he'd come with them and talk to their boss about Jesus. Now, now it sounds good, and we jump at the opportunity. The only problem was is these guys that came and were knocking on the door were not Jewish people. And the distance they had to travel would be about two or three days' journey. And he'd probably have to then eat with these guys. And he'd probably have to sit with these guys. And they'd probably have to get a hotel, you know. Or, or, and they'd have to end up probably in their boss's house. And he was not a believer or a Jewish person. And it's like, this is all unclean for a Jewish person. You follow where this is going? And what God had to do is get him out of that rut of saying, look, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Don't worry about it. You know, my plan is so much bigger than that old law or the laws that we sometimes make up. And sometimes we need to say a stretch me prayer when we read the Bible. Um, vaccination is a big topic right now. I'm not going to get into it. But when you get vaccinated you know, for something, what they do is they shoot something into you and you're not supposed to get the disease. Okay, those of you that got the flu this year or mumbling in your beard, all about that kind of stuff. Why? It's because they put the dead disease in your system. Pow! Squeeze it in there. There's the dead disease, and your body begins to recognize, oh, that's the disease. We've got to stay away from that. But it's dead, so it can't affect you anymore. And so what happens is now all your little antibodies, and those of you that are into this kind of stuff can tell me, are reading the code of that and saying, good, we can fight this now. We now know how to fight this thing because we've got the code. It's, it's in there, only, only it's dead. And a long time ago... Somebody said this, and I remember it a lot. It said, it has been said that there are too many people who have been inoculated or vaccinated with a slight case of Christianity that is preventing them from getting the real thing. Isn't that terrible and great? You know? You've got, you've got the dead virus in you, and you're saying, that's good enough. But it's not the real thing. You know, and Jesus says, I've come to give you life, have it abundantly, and 
you know, I've come to make this thing a living word to you and cut down into your heart and your soul. And we sometimes go through emotions on this stuff. Here's a stretch me prayer. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Now read that. Put your own name in there. Paul, don't just pretend to love others. Paul, you've got to really love them. Paul, hey, what's wrong? Hold tightly to what's good. Paul, you really need to be kind and compassionate to other people. You need to forgive them, Paul, just as God in Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Last one, last words, use me. It's like saying, God, take what I read and learn and open up my life to live it out loud. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray. That's a dangerous thing to have in your mind when you look at the Bible. God, use me now in this way. Because what it means is actually now taking action off of my little throne and not just acknowledging God, but actually doing something for God. The Bible is about people connecting back to God through Jesus Christ and building this community that we would call the church. And so it's, God, as I read this book, reveal to me what you want me to do. I'm making myself now available for this. I'm not saying, okay, I have all my list of things that I love to do, my hobbies, my habits, my just and this and this and this. And, this. and God, if, if, if you kind of convict me, I'll put this one at the bottom. It's saying, God, use me. If this list has to go, that's okay. I can change my whole life around for you, and I will. Check out the dangerous attitudes, these four dangerous attitudes that we can make. Um, there's an element of risk in every single one of them. Olympics are ending today, um, or they're ending at some point in time, or they already have. And, and there's been lots of commercials, you know, and I and actually enjoy the, the commercials on, on, on some of it because they pay a lot of money, so they're going to make them pretty good. And, and, and one of the commercials, and I, and, I, and I love this one, is a little kid is born, you know, and, 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 and it says this, and I'll, I'll butcher the commercial, but, but you'll get the point. It says, you know, odds of this little girl or this boy winning a gold medal in the Olympic Games is 1 in 8 billion. You know, the odds of them winning, because there's 8 billion people in the world, odds of them winning an Olympic gold medal is 1 in 8 billion. But then when they're like 2 years old, their parents take them, put them on skis, and all of a sudden the odds of them winning an Olympic gold goes down from 1 to 8 billion to 1 to 5, 200 million, you know. And then as they ski more and more, they show them getting up early. It's now down to 500,000 and then 100,000, you know. And as they get a coach, they train more and more and more. Now it's one in 100, you know, odds of getting an Olympic gold. And as they work harder and harder and harder, all of a sudden it comes down to them standing on the podium as they put the medal on. And the odds of winning an Olympic gold is what? One out of one. You know, they, 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 they want it. And I, and I, and I love that because... The odds of a successful life, because the Bible talks about how to have a successful life, and it's found in loving God and living the word out in life. When you say, search me, break me, stretch me, use me, the odds of living a successful life go from one in eight billion to one out of one. Because you'll be the person God wants you to be, no matter where you are, and no matter what you do. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up right now. We're going to take a moment. And we're going to take a, sec- a moment and pray. And I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me, please. Some of you might be missing stuff and you're missing what God can do through you. And maybe 
this morning you have kind of come and are trying to defend this little castle you call your life. I understand it. You know, I get that. Because it's all you got. And sometimes completely releasing and relinquishing your life to God is a scary thing. But he's a good God. He's good all the way through. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not worthy enough to let God into my life. Well, that's the whole point. None of us are. God loves you, completely loves you. He knows everything you've done. And the reason that you're right here right now is so that you can hear him calling to you, saying, come back to me or come to me. Don't shortchange who God is. Stop having trouble believing that you matter so much to God that he would put a plan together for you. He has. He wants you to live in that. And I'm not sure which word spoke to you most. Search me. Maybe that's the word right now. Maybe it's break me. With sincerity in your heart, pray that prayer. Maybe it's stretch me. God, I'm kind of on cruise control right now in my spiritual life. Finally, it's, it's use me. And when you say use me, search me, open my eyes, break me, help me see, even today, God will give you an opportunity where you can say, wow, God, wow, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for what you're going to do through us, in us, through us this week. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for being part of today. I'm glad you're here. If you want somebody to pray for you, um, we have people that are over there in the prayer room, and they will just simply pray with you. You can speak it out. You cannot. They're there to support you. Um, let's stand together. We're going to finish with a final song. God bless you guys. Bring friends next week. It should be a fun time, so take care. Thank you.